Broadcasting live from the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm one of your hosts, Omari. I'm here with Chris, and we got Faiza working with us in the booth. What's up, Faiza? They Hello, can't everyone. see you wave, Faiza. You gotta say hi. <laughs> um, we provided this opportunity by the Adams Morgan Youth Leadership Academy, also known as Amila an urban youth leadership development platform, community, and network. And um, today we have a very, very, very special guest. But first, uh, let's talk about some of the guests that we've had in the past. Ms. Betty Altworth from Students, the executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, who gave us all information about how they locking up young brown and black people off these. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was a very sharp guest. She was, but she did tell us how um, these drug policies are intended to uh, enslave people, basically. We had uh, Miss Sherry Lumpkin. Yeah. That was a show I enjoyed. I like the idea of making a doll in your own likeness right. and stuffing it with affirmations. Yeah. Saying, I am beautiful, kind. Right. Um, to overcome travel. To overcome the trauma I, that we hold on yeah, to. Yeah, I attract the people I want to attract in my life, all those type of things. So she's working with um, young ladies all over the globe. Was it were there men included? I don't know. No, why it they... was it was women and, and young children. So it was okay. boys and girls and women. Yeah, she's in Cuba right now, right, Chris? She is in Cuba. Yeah, we keep in contact with her. Yeah. Who else did we have? We had uh, Rashid Hughes. She, he was a mindfulness facilitator, uh, committed to working with underserved, underprivileged kids in uh, in our community. So that's good. Helping kids uh, also work through different traumas and stresses in their life through becoming more mindful, meditation, becoming centered. I ran into him at the barbershop. Have did you, you been practicing? Yes, I did. Okay. Have you been tra- practicing mindfulness at all? Do you? I, you know, I've been feet? slipping. I've, I've been slipping, but I do. I, I'm happy that I have the information that I could uh, that I could refer to when I do when it does get stressful. So, and um, we've had a couple of more shows. I would like to mention. I know we talked. Uh, about Bitcoin, yeah, um, and where, the future, yeah, where yeah. the future might go. I thought that was a pretty awesome show. I wasn't here for that, but I did listen to it. Um, and I got to bring up King Penslim again because I thought he had a wonderful presence. I thought he had a lot of information to offer anybody that wanted to be a musician in this area. And he and he was well studied. He wasn't just a hip hop artist, right? Uh, hip hop historian. Yeah, I, I would say he's a hip hop historian. So he gets more than one title from window seat right and today we have a guest who's a lifelong washingtonian Uh oh she's been serving the community since uh the anthony williams days Uh oh worked with the anthony williams administration she uh i know she's worked in in southeast for at least a decade that's where i want to move working with community uplifting the community in southeast often ignored community in southeast she's a, a small business owner and uh she's running for council seat in the upcoming elections, she's been endorsed by the Victory Fund, our mayor, and uh, the Washington Post, Miss Dion Reader. And she Hold had it. a wonderful presence when I came in here. 
feels good. He had a wonderful presence. Greeted everybody, was kind, spoke, wasn't acting Dion, shy, nothing. Dion, so she's ready. Dion's official. So Dion's she's the, ready. Yeah, Dion's official. She, I, always got good energy, even when she's not happy with you. But she's pissed, but she's still going to give it to you, you with a smile. some experience? Yeah, me and Dion go back a little bit. Okay, okay. But um, always with a smile. That's good news. What's up, Dion? Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. I am. I'm good. We were talking a little bit before the show. You've been telling me this election has been rough. It has. It's probably the second hardest thing I've done in my life. Really? Mm-hmm. What was the first? Congrats to that. Opening up a restaurant. Okay. Yeah, that was a pretty, um, it still is a really, really rough business. You know, the margins are very slim and the work is extremely arduous and it's probably, you know, you really, really work harder than you think you were going to work. And when you have to get in there and do almost everything, just because you got to make ends meet, it's difficult. And then you decided to take on this uh, responsibility, yeah, serving, serving the people. You said you're insane? <laughs> no. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what you do. I mean, after a while, you just, when you live your life purposely, and that's how I have intended to live my life, I made a lot of bad decisions um, growing up. And I think that God has positioned me in a way that I have to be a servant. And I don't know in the way to, no other way to live but to this way, live this way as a servant. So public servanthood is exactly what it's supposed to be. So we have turned it around and made it into politicians. And that's for individuals who are interested in being stars. And that's not my interest. I just want to live my life in a way that I'm supposed to live my life so that at the end of it, people are blessed, God is pleased, and I get to live victoriously. That's that's it, and that's all. It's not much more than that. I like that. That's why we were. <laughs> maybe I'm an easy vote. That's all. I'm, <laughs> I'm an easy vote. Well, for for those that aren't an easy vote, why did why what made you? What was the thing that that you said? You know what? I need to get into this race. Uh, so, uh, in addition to working in Ward Eight for probably the last twenty years of my life, mm-hmm. I've actually worked across the city. So I grew up in Ward One, not far from here. Mm-hmm. I went to middle school at Sacred Heart, which is not far from here. Growing up in a city, you see a different city. Uh, Growing up in Ward 1, it was a lot different than living in Ward 8 and working in Ward 8. I primarily worked in Ward 8 even before I moved there. And the the life that people lived in Ward 8 was so different. It was almost as if it was a different world, not just a different city. People were just marginalized and fighting to get whatever they could to succeed or just to survive beyond succeeding. People just wanted to survive. And it became painful. So when I, be start, when I started working in the nonprofit sector, because I went over there to work as a government employee, but when I transitioned after Mayor Williams ended his administration and started working in the nonprofit sector, I realized that this work is great. And the kind of change that Amari and I worked together and the kind of change we were doing was really individual change. But in if you really want to be effective, you have to change communities. Mm-hmm. And the only way you change communities is through policy. And policy is done through legislation. And we don't often understand that until you really understand how you change communities. So that's why I decided to run. I got tired of burying my babies. I got tired of people living in conditions when they actually get a job. And we say, okay, great, we got your job. And then they lose their voucher to be able to make enough ends meet to be able to afford to live where they're living. 
and then they lose their health insurance. And then, well, you make this amount of money, so you can't have this subsidy. And it was almost as if people were on a hamster wheel. And I realized that the only thing that's going to really effectively change the conditions of our communities across the entire city is that you're in position to change policy. So that's why I did it. That was interesting there. Um, you were talking about the incentive to work if you're losing your voucher. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas on how, what policy you would like to enact? Sure, sure. A part of it, too, is um, we don't like this E-word because it seems like when you, when you say it, people have to do more work. And that's education. Okay. But education isn't always sitting behind a desk and understanding. Education is just the E-word. It's just understanding. And it's the one-on-one education sometimes that exists between a coach and a player. Okay. You know, I like, I like sports, so I'm a football person. You know, hail to the national football That's team that exists about. in Washington, D.C. <laughs> she getting all the votes in here. Y'all, y'all will not have me say That's the what I'm talking about. and lose my support. But the national football team that represents Washington, D.C., hail to come them. Back. That's what I'm talking about. But, you know, when you look at it from that perspective and um, not as case managing people, but really mm-hmm. coaching people to success, and you talk to them and you really show them how this shift works, people don't even understand the vote that they have when you elect a council member. We focus our attention on the mayor. We don't focus our attention on the council. The mayor provides oversight to agencies, which is the highest elected official, but the real work happens through policy, which is the 13 members that you elect to the city council. That's how you change your community, and we forget that that's where the beginning of the work starts, with your ANCs and with your council members. So once you move in that line, You know, and I don't really have any beyond getting in office to change the way my city looks. I mean, this is my city. I love this city. I welcome people who move here a year ago. If you move here a day ago, if you live here three generations like myself, we got to share it. And if you're willing to share it like me, then I welcome you to it. But you can't push me out just so that you can have a seat at my table. We can share my table, but you can't push me out. Understood. So what I'm talking about is people are not educated on what it will take to come out of poverty. And that's what happens a lot of times throughout different, different sectors of our city. Case in point, all of us in this room, we're very familiar with Section 8, yeah. which is now known as Housing Choice Voucher Program. Okay. How familiar are you with Section 3? Never heard of it. I know you haven't. Section 3 allows you, if you've lived in public housing, you can take that voucher mm-hmm. and purchase. That's how you move people out of poverty. But when we don't educate people around that, you get three generations of people living in public housing. But that's the education that has to be provided through your legislature. We forget why we elect people. We don't elect people so that we can stay poor. We don't elect people that we can only have a few people that are rich. We elect people so that we can have equity across the city. My baby should not, your education level should not be determined on where you live. Right. Education is something we all pay our fair share of taxes so that our public education process is equitable across this city. Gotcha. That's my point. So when I say education, I mean that may be just what I just shared with you. So now what you're going to do is you're going to go look up Section 3. And that's not a local, that's not a local initiative. That's a national initiative. When I talk to people about Opportunity Zones, you know what that is? Please, please don't. You know what Opportunity Zone is? And we want to talk globally. Your current president, our current president, Mm -hmm. created an opportunity zone so that he can get a tax bill passed 
You know what that means? That means 91 jurisdictions in the District of Columbia has an opportunity to provide businesses, 30% of businesses, monies, $364 billion that have been allocated for opportunity zones, and that gives individuals with CBE licenses to be able to have funds to invest in those communities, to rebuild those communities. We don't own the land, but we can create the businesses. And if you own the land and you have the business, you got a double-edged sword. But those are the, that's the kind of education we got to talk about so that our families can have a stake in our cities. What's a CBE license? Certified Business Enterprise. So if you don't have one and you have a business, so Marion Barry created that for us, which is our, you know, we consider him to be mayor for life. Yes. He created opportunities for us to be successful across this whole city. One of the things he did that I was very proud of, and, you know, we all talk about the Manbury Summer Youth Employment Program, but that was one of the many initiatives he created for people to come out of poverty-stricken conditions. The CBE license allowed, was afforded for minorities to be able to have a business, and monies that come into the District of Columbia's grant-funded monies, even beyond grant-funded money, any money you get from D.C. government, mm-hmm. a percentage of that money must be allocated to a CBE. So if you got a, if your company collects trash, if your companies, if your company sells supplies, I mean whatever it is, if your company caters food, mm-hmm. whatever it is, a certain percent of any money that is exactly allocated to you from the District of Columbia, thirty percent of it, I'm not exactly certain of the amount, but a percentage of those resources must go to a CBE. And the re- reason why that was created is because too many minority businesses were was not getting resources from, from district government monies. Right. So he created that opportunity. And what we did, unfortunately, is took that wealth to the counties. And we didn't stay in our city. And then we're angry because now we'll have no place in the city. You can't have it both ways. We have to we have to be patient and we have to be, you know, we have to persevere and we have to know how to invest in our own. And that's what we don't do a good job at. And that's how you that's how you open up the middle class. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Window Seat um, at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. We're talking to council member. <laughs> I like to proclaim things. Amen. Um, reader about a lot of things. Um, and you talked about education. Mm-hmm. So we hear people in politics talk about the things that they want to improve. Um, but when you actually begin to take action, when you're when you have the ability, what do you change? Like, what do you want to change and how are you going to change it? So the first thing I would like to do, and that's one of my platform issues, is really, I graduated from Theodore Roosevelt Senior High School, okay. Rough Rider. Mm-hmm. We had trades in our school. Back then, we just had vocational trades. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have an opportunity to have trades in media, trades in IT, where there's a career that a young, people can gra- a young person can graduate from high school and have a very lucrative career. Everyone isn't going to college. It worked for me. It may have worked for you guys. But that isn't going to work for every young person. My granddaughter can pick up my cell phone and do more with my cell phone than I could do. Right. And we are not building upon that opportunity. So the very first thing I want to do is create legislation to submit to our city around how do we infiltrate our high schools with trades. That's vocational and career and technical trades. So we will build an opportunity for a young person to have accreditation 
in a particular field. And we can start it in ninth grade. By the time they graduate from 12th grade, they have a job. That's not called workforce development. That's called workforce systems. And what we're not doing is we've marginalized the business community and we have not created a collaborative effort so that you have a business that I'm saying to, if you're going to be in my city, you have to create jobs for my residents. What that means is if Amazon comes to D.C. and whatever amount of jobs they're having in two years, I want to build a workforce that the majority of those jobs are going to D.C. residents. But the only way I can do that is if I ensure that my people are ready for those jobs. Right. And the best way to do that is you build the infrastructure with our young adults. So when they graduate, they have credits towards that particular career and that industry. And they're not just the laborers, but they're the managers. They're the IT specialists. They come out with the career that they're then going to pay taxes and want to stay in this city. That's how you do it. And so I see that as my very first initiative, and that's really one of the reasons why I really got involved in this. I worked with young people that were getting high school diplomas and couldn't read, but they can tell me how to create an entire app on a phone or how to jailbreak a phone. And that made me nervous because we're hiring people across the country to come in and do jobs that we can train children right here today in. And by the time they graduate from high school, they're not looking to make $30, 30, 30 what is it, $15 an hour, $30,000 $30, a year. But they're looking to make $60,000 a year, right. $80,000 a year. So that would be one of the first things I would want to do. You think education influences other areas of the community? I think education influences everything. And I think the lack thereof also does. And that's what our problem is as, you know, um, not just, uh, it, 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 you know, we're, when I say our, I come from a working class family. Mm-hmm. And one of the things my mom and dad always instilled in us, I didn't learn how to sew. My mom was a professional seamstress. I didn't learn how to sew because she felt like the industry was too hard. I mean, I can sew, you know, put a button on and all that kind of stuff. But my mom was a professional. I, my basement had overlock machines. But she didn't teach me that because she felt that education and getting a college degree was more important. Mm. She didn't think about the loans out there, right? She just wanted me to have a, a chance to be a part of the middle class where she felt like a professional could be. And she didn't see herself that way. Same for my dad. So education matters wherever you are. Right. Whether it's education around you know, becoming a media executive. Everyone doesn't need to have an education from a university. But education matters wherever you are. So there's no field that you can't be educated in. So why independent? I'm not, well, I'm, I'm, I find myself in a lot of different categories, right? Okay. I'm African-American. You know, I'm married to a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my life is much different than a lot of people. And none of the current parties really satisfied me or suit me. I think differently than a lot of people. I'm an independent thinker. So um, the independent party in and of itself is a better feel for me because I don't have to align myself when I don't agree with you as a Democrat. I don't have to align myself with you is because I'm a part of your party. There's some things I agree with Republicans and Democrats. Like what? I know quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you say Republicans. Yeah, everybody wanted to know what you agree I'm, with. I'm very conservative in terms of how I think. I don't believe in entitlements. I believe labor brings dignity. So I'm not a proponent of a person that feels as if I should not work and I should collect a check in order to survive. So some people say that's conservative and that's more along the lines of a Republican. But I also don't believe that it's okay for you to marginalize me and not give me opportunities and think that that's fair. Because I believe in equity. 
then that's more along the lines of a Democrat. So that's why I'm an independent. It sounds good to me. Does it work for you, Chris? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. She caught um, your face, Chris. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was uh, thinking there's so much um, on both sides, Republican and Democrats, mm-hmm. um, that I'm, I'm like you. I agree with on both sides. I just, I don't know, don't find myself in places where I discuss them. Yeah. But let's get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of people, I think, in this community who will be voting November. Everybody get out and vote, right? November yeah, we 6th. Need every, I don't care who you vote for. I mean, I want you to vote for me, but we've <laughs> lost the value of voting. I mean, this is, I mean, we've been able to vote, you know, not long. Right. You know, it's not, the, I mean, in terms of we being African-Americans. We have not been able to vote for and a long women. time. And with def- my God, definitely women. Mm-hmm. So when we miss the opportunity to vote, you know, we're, we're actually saying to our ancestors that the, the work that you did for many years, how you died, didn't matter to me. And that's a problem for me. I don't agree with that one. That's where we're different. Mm-hmm. That's the first place. Um, I think they fought for the right to vote, if that makes sense. I'm going to stop. Because I do have a question. I have a ton of questions. Okay. You're talking about. All right. The, uh, as Wait, a member well, of the. But that's what I meant. The right to vote. Yes. Okay. okay so we agree with each yeah, other okay, on yes. that. Right, go ahead, Kristen. I got one right. As a member of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things going on that I don't necessarily. Um, it's not on my radar. Okay. What um, are some things that you notice and some things you like to enact? So you're going to be surprised when I say this. Um, it's a lot of things that's not on my radar. Like, I don't, and that's why I differ from so many people. I don't live my life according to the causes of everyone. I just live my life. I just love my wife. Right. And I've been attracted to women since I can remember. Um, so I don't necessarily, I've learned more in terms of how we are discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt the pain of that in certain situations. I mean, most recently I was going to an event and a woman pulled, a, pulled me aside. and She said, you know, I really like you a lot. I think you're a great person. Um, but you got to stop talking about so much that you are, you know, you're gay. And she whispered it just like that. <laughs> and I said to myself, hmm. she said, yeah, because you're going to lose a vote, the vote of a lot of people. And I said, I can't wait to get that microphone. Because I'm going to introduce my wife as soon as I grab it. Because if you can't love me for who I am or vote for me or support me as a woman, a lesbian woman, mm-hmm. my wife and I have been together for 19 years. We grew up together. Right. Not grew together. We grew up together. And she's been one of the most stabilizing factors as my friend, my best friend, than anyone I can point to on the face of this earth. The fact that we are intimately in love and attracted to each other don't change the fact that we are who we are. So you can never allow me to marginalize who I am for you to feel better about who you are. Right. So that I won't do. But as far as my cause and my plight, my plight is for all people. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care your preference, your gender, you know, your sexuality. I didn't choose to be African-American and I didn't choose to be gay. Right. Right. I chose to be a Christian. Now you want to talk to me about that. That's different. Okay. Right. That's a choice I made. Mm -hmm. But I didn't choose any of those other things. So I can't have a conversation with anyone around saying I'm not something when I don't know how to be nothing else. Everybody else. I got to be Dion. Everyone, you know, everybody else is already taken. So for me, I have a 26 year old daughter. My wife and I have probably been together longer than most heterosexual couples. 
I have a five-year-old granddaughter who loves me and I love her immensely. And I'm raising her in the reverence of who she should be in fear of, and that's God. Right. Her granddaddy is actively involved in her life. When I see him, he knows that I'm his, ba- I'm his baby mother like his other baby mother. You know, and I respect him for being the man that he is to my daughter and my granddaughter. So I had a great father who's a daddy until the day he died. So I don't have those hang-ups with the men. You know, the person who's with me each and every day and protects me is my nephew. So men are important to me. I'm just not attracted to them. So that shouldn't separate me from having any other issues than any other person having walking on the face of this earth. So I don't allow people to kind of put me into those little pockets because that's just not who I am. I'm free. And I'm going to live my life that way. I wish we could end there, but we got a little bit more time. I got you. <laughs> that, was, that was well said. Very Thank well you. said. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, when I heard it, I immediately want to congratulate you um, because I don't feel like I get that from many public servants. I don't feel like I get, um, I feel like they're too conscious of the currency that they hold with what they say, so they don't necessarily give me the truth, and right. I felt very honest. Right. It felt genuine. Yes. So, um, what do you say to the voters who don't feel like uh, education is a problem for them, or their concerns are their local community, right? Because you're running at large, mm-hmm. right? So you're not running to represent just one ward. Mm-mm. You're running to represent the entire city. And so I want you to take a little time to explain the difference between what ward at large member is. But also speak to um, the voters who are simply concerned about what's going on in, in their, their neighborhood, in, in their community, and, and their children's safety, their safety, Most definitely. their pocketbooks. And they don't see the connections uh, to the things some of that, the issues, of right? Some right. of the things that you're saying. Well, let me say this: so there are needs in every part of the city. So one of the most, the wealthiest part of our city is War Three. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time. Honestly, it's not a day that go by that I'm not in each. I'm not in every ward of the city. So I'm not voting to be the ward A council member. Council member Trayon White has done an excellent job at doing that. I'm not vote. I'm not running to be the council member for Ward Three. I think council member Che has done a great job at doing that. But there is still a level of support that every council member needs, and that's the role of the at-large council member, to provide the secondary vote voice for that council member to support them and get them the necessary resources they need, the necessary vote, the necessary support, whatever that is, to cross the finish line for that individual resident. I was in Ward 3 in Chevy Chase, and I was walking, and a resident said to me, can you help me get this tree trimmed? Then getting that tree trimmed for him, who does not have any children in school, was equally important than a resident that's living in Ward 5 who needed their trash picked up in their alley. Right. And what you have to be able to do as an at-large council member is serve both needs. And that's what I'm willing to do. A tree getting trimmed for a resident who lives in Ward 3 is equally important as trash getting picked up for a resident who live in Ward 5. An education, going to a school that has the necessary curriculum for a child to succeed in Ward 8, is equally important for a child that lives in Ward 1 to have access to quality education. And you have to see yourself being stretched across all eight wards of the city. That's providing equity not equality. And we're too busy. We're too busy focusing on what's fair 
It's not about being what's fair. Because for Ward 3, what may be fair to them may not be fair to Ward 6. So equality is not, a, to me, a factor. Things has never been fair. Mm. It's about equity. So it is important for me to get a tree trim, as it's equally as important for me for a child to have great access to education. And you have to value your residents that way, and I value people that way. So my first responsibility is to the District of Columbia residents, secondary to the individuals who actually come here to work who are not residents. But my first responsibility is to the residents. So that's why you will always hear me talk about what's bets for D.C. residents. And that's the way I look at myself, and that's the way I see my role. I went to your site today. Okay. And um, I have some questions about affordable housing. I don't even know if I want to say affordable, but I notice in cities at large, people are moving in and the cost of living is going up. Mm-hmm. And D.C. is definitely one of those cities. We're a creative economy. How do you solve that issue? Well, I think one of the things you have to do is you got to be open-minded. And then I'm going to have to get out of here in a little bit, gentlemen. Okay. Um, you have to be open-minded in terms of, so, so look, look at it this way. There are three, fa- there are three factors in, in the city. Business, government, nonprofit, right? So let's start with nonprofits cares for people. Government provide resources for people in terms of the infrastructure. Businesses provide revenue. That's why you got the line hotel. Right. Right. You don't stay here for free. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. If you had no line hotel, who would do the other two? You don't know, right? Right. We don't know either. But if you leave, if you don't have all three working simultaneously together, you lose out. So affordable housing is generated by the economics of the city. Right. You have to force businesses and development to ensure that we have working class housing. So really, thick, really quick, I'm going to tell you my my take on my policy on those three things. One, my parents purchased their house over 40 years ago. Do a rent to own option. Okay. We've eliminated that. So what happened for my parents is they were able to actually put money in the escrow, and within a certain period of time, they became owners of that home. Okay. That will help working class people in that fifty to seventy thousand dollar range purchase homes in the District of Columbia. Secondary is a program called HIPS, Housing Investment Platform, that is funded by the Housing Finance Agency. That's resources that is put into the hands of smaller developers, not the big boys, so that they can hire smaller subcons and provide housing at a lower rate. Okay. The third thing is we have to fix the backlog and the bureaucracy around our HPAC program. And that's the program that allows us to get resources to buy homes. And what happens is if someone like myself, right, I put my, my money down and, and I say, okay, I'm waiting for the resources I got and get up to $80,000 to buy, purchase this house. Well, it takes me 90 days to get it. You walking in the city, the house costs $300,000. You write a check for $300,000. You're not going to wait for me to get my subsidies from the city to purchase the house. Right, right, right. But if we release that money quicker, then I'll get it before you get it. And then I can afford to live in the city. Those are policy issues. Those are not government agency issues. That's how we fix policy. Once we fix policy, we'll give access to the families to be able to live in this city. If you work in this city, you should be able to live in this city. 
And currently, I know, uh, at least among this, the current council, they did want to take funding away from those housing programs. They do. They Especially do from, I, I know directly from organizations like Housing Counseling Services yeah. who lead the city in, in those services, um, their funding is being cut dramatically. So okay. that's yeah. important. And, and I think one of the things you got you to gotta be mindful of, too, um, and my mom used to tell me this, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. We spend most of our time talking to each other. <laughs> about the problems in the city. And we don't spend enough of the time talking to the people who we elect or who we don't elect. And that's the problem. And your voice can't be heard if you don't vote. And I don't care, again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want you to vote for me. Not because I've been endorsed by the mayor or I've been endorsed by the Washington Post. All of that's great, but if you watch my candidacy for the last year, and Amari will tell you, I ran my race with no support. I ran my race out of pocket. I got a little Mini Cooper. It was me and one other person running around doing everything to keep my race afloat. Because I, I didn't believe in endorsement. I believed in the people who I was using to motivate me to say this is wrong. And if we don't fix this problem or aim to fix it, then we're wasting our time. So that's why I ran. That's why I'm running. That's why I'm soliciting the support. But we got to get more people who are community development oriented, business minded, Nonprofit center, and I got five disciplinaries. My resume is not just focused on business. I just opened up a business three years ago. Mari was telling you, I worked at the collaborative for 14 years. Shout out Far Southeast. Far Southeast (laughs) Collaborative. Where I worked, and most recently, my responsibility before I left was to bring busboys and poets to Southeast. I sat at that table. Prior to that, I helped people who came out of Berry Farm buy houses. That's right. People who lived in public housing purchase homes he worked down there we did it that wasn't a one agency responsibility we did that collectively with the community i worked in the government i managed over a nine million dollar grant for the district government and on top of that guess what i did when i was 21 i worked on the count the legislative staff for congressman bruce vento i know how to write policy but i didn't know 20 years ago all of those things was going to line me up for the day that's the will of God. That's incredible, too. You know, but that, those are the disciplinaries that I've actually worked in to push me to where I am today. So whether I get elected or not, I'm not going to stop doing what I do. But my point is we have to elect people who understand it from the ground to the ceiling. We can't elect people that get it at the ceiling and then expect them to understand it on the ground. You don't get it that way. So... Dion, Dion, we know you got to go. So. Yeah, I thank you, brothers. I would have loved to have been here a little bit longer, but we're too close to the, to, you I know, know. you got work to do. To the E-Day. So you guys got to get me out of here and get me some votes. Thank you for your time. I appreciate yeah, we'll you. We'll do what we can as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Y'all good men. Thank you. Thank Chris, you. what do you think? Um, I wanted desperately to ask the Inspire question, which we ask most of our guests. Um, if you had anything to inspire someone uh, who, who's heard this podcast, Mm-hmm. Typically, youth. I'm either works with uh, young men, okay, young men and women. But just what would you say to inspire? What has your journey taught you? Don't give up. Stay focused. Even when you fall, get back up. It's never the end. It's only the end if you let it be the end. You know, I, I have been the dartboard for the last year of my life, and that's the most painful experience to be in. But I will not stop. Because if I stop, then how am I going to inspire the next person? Whether I win or I lose, the experience in and of itself is what motivates you to be the person that you were created to be. So you can't get to your purpose if you stop trying. 
So your purpose is embedded in your effort. So you got to keep believing, not just in yourself, but that you weren't created here to do your work just for you. But you were created to be who you're supposed to be for someone else. It's not much more than that. Well, thank you for joining us. I know innately when I hear anything with politics, I think somebody's going to hustle me. (laughs) Um, And you seem very genuine. Um, I don't feel like I was had. I I think we got the real you, and I really appreciate you for coming. Thank you for allowing me to be here, Chris. And giving us that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Amari. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, Window C family. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.